The medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen into these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. Hey everybody, welcome back to Geological. Today I'm sitting down with the women from Heavenly Chi. If you're not familiar with the Heavenly Chi podcast, you really should be because it is one great kick-ass podcast on Chinese medicine. On the other end of the line here today, I've got Claire Pyers and Fiona Gitson, and we're just going to wrap a bit today about Chinese medicine and podcasting. So, and it's the first time I've had two people on the show at the same time. So welcome you two. Great to have you here at Geological. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. 
Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Hello. Thanks for, thanks for having us. It's great to be here. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. And, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. And a lot of podcasts that cover all kinds of different topics, but those that really focus on Chinese medicine, they're kind of rare. I'm curious to know what got you started with doing this. Shall I tell the story or do you, do you want to tell the story, Claire? Because I, well, think- I was thinking that maybe we can each tell our own version. Right. Yeah. Why okay. don't you go first? Okay. So um, I started working with Claire in early 2014 and I think we no it was actually about May and then we started the podcast about January February 2015 2015 they they don't say 2015 in America (laughs) Um, so so we would often be having these great chats at work and previous to that I had spent several years working either alone or as the only Chinese medicine practitioner in a multimodality clinic. And I didn't have a lot of time where I'd had great chats just sitting around in the herb dispensary or, um, you know, in between patients or on the lunch break. And um, Claire and I were having some really great conversations and we'd studied together but then lived interstate from each other for maybe it was eight years since graduating Um, between the time when we graduated and when I started working with her. So we had a lot to talk about since we'd been students together. And then one day Claire said, I want to do a podcast. Do you want to do a podcast with me? And I had audio skills to do the editing and production and I said, yeah, okay, let's do that. And I didn't really think about the fact that I would then have to talk on a podcast. But... (laughs) Oh, you have to talk on a podcast. It just became this cool part of my job working in Claire's clinic. Um, And then it dawned on me a little while, slowly later, what such a great resource we were creating. So are you a little shy about talking? Are you one of these introverted acupuncturists? I'm I'm a weird backflipper between introvert and extrovert. I think I spent the first 20 years believing I was an extrovert and I even trained in dance, music, singing, theatre, acting. And um, and then I actually part of my healing journey in my early 20s was that I had this kind of chronic fatigue and, and this real um, reversal of my energy and I became very introverted and very, you know, I was exhausted for a while. So I had to rebuild my whole energy field and my spleen chi and my immune system and Um, I think it was actually a discovery that I really was quite introverted. So since then I do come out and I have performed and sung or danced or talked here and there. But each time I do it, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. And so podcasting was something I was comfortable with more so because it was audio. And there's something about it that requires less of your energy, um, but you can share so much. And I think it's also easier for people to listen to because they don't have to have their eyes available. Right. I mean, so often people listen to podcasting while they're doing something else. Mm. Fill the time they're out for a walk, they're doing dishes, they're driving in their car. And uh, yeah, you know, with video, you're kind of glued, you're locked into it. So yeah. It, it, and, you know, I think the other thing is everybody likes to hear a story, Right. Who doesn't like to hear a story? Well, it, I think on that point, you know, it really taps into that, the very ancient part of the brain. You know, humans have been storytellers for a very long time. Like that was how we transmitted all of our knowledge for so long. And, you know, when when we get into that storytelling mode, it really allows people to connect 
on other layers as well. I think podcasting is great. Yeah. What was what was your side of the story, Claire? Well, so my version of the story was that I have always been I've always been somebody who likes to make my opinions known. <laughs> and, <laughs> and for those who know me, I mean, it doesn't, it's not quite so egotistical as it sounds, but, um, you know, I have, I've got things to say and I think I can add a lot of value to lots of different conversations on different topics. And so, you know, I've been presenting at conferences and I've, you know, written a book and various other bits and pieces. And to me, you know, as as Fee mentioned, the conversations that we were having in clinic, you know, just hanging out in the dispensary and going, oh, you know, what do you think about this? It just seemed to be just, just another another aspect of the type of information that I think should be out there in the world of Chinese medicine. And I'm very much a person that believes in, you know, do more of what of how you think the world should be. Um, and so because I think, you know, it's important to create more collegiality within our profession. You know, so many people work, so many people work on their own or in a multi-modality clinic and so they don't get to talk shop as much as, you know, the few of us who are fortunate to work in a group practice. Yeah. So, so I said, hey, Fee, I'm going to do a podcast. Will you be my co-host? And and my recollection was that Fee went, mm, I don't know, I'm not really, oh, you know, she ummed and ahed and I was very persuasive. <laughs> and I said, come on, it'll be great. It'll be really cool. You'll love it. And um, and she relented. <laughs> and uh, and in the end, I think we've both enjoyed it more, much more than we thought we would. Yeah, and the truth is that I am aware that I certainly have a lot to say and I'm more than happy for my opinions to be known as well. Yeah, it's a good medium for it. Well, it, it's interesting hearing your, your backstory on that. I started doing it because I live in a part of the world where there's not many acupuncturists and I work by myself by and large. And most acupuncturists I know work by ourselves. And this this was a way... I mean, I used to live in Seattle where I hang out with my acupuncture friends all the time. And, but I don't have that here in the Midwest of the United States. And so in some ways I started doing this because it was a way to hang out with my tribe, so to speak. And, um, I've actually got two podcasts. So this is the one that's for the profession, but I, I started doing everyday acupuncture, I think in, well, about three years ago, probably about the time you started Heavenly Chi, I would suspect. Mm. And, and that one was for the general public. I was looking to help people who were looking for answers to health issues and they weren't sure what to do. And I thought, you know, if I could have some guests on the show that talked about how Chinese medicine is helpful, maybe they'll go find themselves a practitioner and they'll get some help. And so I, I kept it very everyday language and very um, topic specific. And then I was shocked to find out how many practitioners were listening to the show. I get all these emails from practitioners going, we love your show. And I'm thinking, you love my show. It's not for you. <laughs> You're listening to the wrong show. <laughs> you should be listening to him. And so eventually I thought, okay, fine. So many practitioners listen. I'll just, I'll try to do one for practitioners where we can just we can just go deep and geeky and, and it would feed my need for hanging out with colleagues, you know, and being able to find out what are they doing in clinic? What are they learning? What are their successes? What are their difficulties? And it's been wonderful to find that there's this medium that actually connects up the voices of our community. You know, that's the that's the type of feedback that we get on, you know, on Heavenly Chi as well you know people come up to me at um at conferences people i've never met and they go wow you're claire pyers thank you so much for the podcast you know it's so amazing i listen to you all the time i feel like i know you even though we've never met 
and it's you know it's so nice to get that feedback because people really do feel isolated you know you get caught up in your own thoughts and it's just you and your own musings sometimes that and if you if that's all you have for months and years at a time with the occasional interlude if you're at a seminar or a workshop of some sort I think it's um you know there's lots of there's lots of different aspects to listening to podcasts as well as being a podcaster that's definitely something that's enriched my clinical practice in the last few years just with the different people we've had discussions with and there's lots of moments of reflection where you think wow that's that's really interesting and then you know it sets you off on this kind of trajectory where it it just changes the way you practice like I, I can't imagine practicing the same way after having you know these really insightful conversations with some amazing practitioners yeah I can't imagine if we were to undo everything we've learned from all of our guests because it, it's it's almost been like doing another degree in Chinese medicine, just having guests on a podcast over the last three years. Um, I would definitely say that it's also allowed us to be able to learn from some of the world's best teachers, whereas normally you'd go, well, we do, go to a school and you get the teachers that are in that geographical region and, you know, you may get some of the best and you may not. And... Um, you know, the, I think the internet's amazing for connecting us and allowing us to take our experiences of connectivity to the next level. And that, with that comes the benefit of the transmission of information. And we're speeding up the transmission of information and all of us getting to learn from all these teachers that weren't necessarily our teachers when we were at school. And it seems like it's different sitting down and having a conversation with somebody than going and taking a class at a conference, or even for that matter, listening to somebody on a webinar. Yeah, and I know when I was working alone, um, it was then different to working in a multimodality space where I did have some collegial discussions about, uh, you know, the things we had in common in holistic medicine. And then working in in Claire's clinic where there was always at least three or four of us practicing acupuncture and Chinese medicine and experiencing that kind of level of discussion and then going to a podcast where it was Claire and I talking and sharing our discussion out with the world and then the next level having a guest on your podcast who is somewhere else and then you start to connect up information nodes, you know, in in, um, different places and it starts to feel more like a, a lounge that is a web. A lounge that is a web. I like that. Yeah, Yeah. and it builds up because we all have the inventory of all of the episodes that we've created and and of each person that each episode touched. It's like the different people that were sitting in the lounge on those days. Um, But we all can go there. Um, So I feel it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a space, but it's a casual conversation. And I think that when you do something like medicine, there's a certain amount of pressure to be excellent at it and know what you're doing so if you're attending a webinar or listening to a webinar or a class there's a different kind of pressure than when you're actually talking with your full the all the details of you as a human being to your colleagues just about your experience of this career path so it's a little more personal is what you're saying i think so maybe a lot more personal Well, I think it allows people to relax more Mm. and spend time. We can deviate on a discussion about a technique um, with certain things that we wouldn't give time to deviating on in a class. Right. Can you give me an example or two of how your clinical work is different today Uh, due to the influence of of podcasting and maybe a conversation that you've had, maybe it was learning about a technique or a formula, but, or maybe it was just getting a glimpse or an insight or just a sense of how someone is with their patients. I think for me, 
It's it's difficult to single out, you know, that there that there's going to be like a top five or a, you know a top ten or anything anything that profound, but because there's there's measurable effects that I can detect within myself from every conversation that I've had. Mm. I will say that there's some podcasts that we've done that ended up being more instructional than others, and some of those have been really very profound for me clinically, uh, in particular the two episodes that we did with Heiner Fruhauf on goo syndrome. And, and that was, it, it, it was kind of deliberate, I guess, in terms of inviting him on to the podcast because I was really interested in his approach and and the way that the goo formulas were, I guess, formulated and how they worked. but that, And that just tended also to fit the type of difficult patients that I was encountering at the time. So that was that has been really profound. But then there's also other other bits and pieces from you know that are a bit harder to put your finger a bit harder for me to put my finger on in terms of exactly, you know, the precise way that it's affected my practice. But there was a there was a a one-liner that Zev Rosenberg said, and that was, you know, we get sick when we're not paying attention. Oh, wow. And that, and that comes up for me. It's like a, little, like a little voice in my head that goes, hmm, we get sick when we're not paying attention. It's like Zev is just there periodically coming in and just tapping me on the shoulder and reminding me, hey, Claire, remember that, remember that thing? <laughs> so, yeah, it can be as subtle as that or as you know, as gross and macro as, um, you know, a particular herbal formula approach or a particular acupuncture point approach. Fiona, what about you? And, and I know, I mean, you've been on kind of a journey. We were talking a little bit before we started rolling tape today. You've been on a journey this past year with coming to the States and sort of leaving acupuncture, not leaving it behind, but not being able to do it and, and putting your energy into other places. I'm wondering how the podcast has been helping you with that transition or, or if it, what kind of role it's played in that transition? Yeah, there's kind of two ways that I respond to that question. Like what, what kind of things have I learned that changes my practice? Like there's, there's definitely uh, something from every guest and even every episode that I've done with Claire, because we really documented what it is we know about a topic in a way uh, with the podcast and, you know, I hear them a couple of times by the time they're done. I really agree with Claire that there's just so many things that I've learned, but then on an, on another level, um, I mean, things like techniques. Um, I'm having a memory now I want to mention of the, the tongue work uh, when we were speaking to um, Brad Wisnant. And he mentioned a point and I was sitting there and I just kind of touched the point and it, you know, fixed my pain instantly. And it was a, a point from a system that I haven't studied. So it still then became part of my repertoire that I could say, well, I can still try that point, even though I don't know the whole system for that particular pain indication. So, you know, there's really tiny things like that. And then there's massive things like, um, you know, just understanding more about, I've definitely learned a whole lot more about the Shang Hanlun systems through a lot of the guests that through also learning about many different styles. It's given me this kind of smorgasbord overview of the vastness of Chinese medicine that I learn about in theory as part of my training. And I learned what I learned, you know, in the course from my teachers, but and then I learn what I'm interested in, you know. Um, and I remember, like, we had Dan Bensky on and he said to, you know, one of his tips was to encourage students to um, study what they're not interested in whilst they're at college. Because when you're out of college, you'll study what you're interested in. And you need to have those skills because a patient may need them at some point, you know, and it's not about you. So I also found that really inspiring. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of levels of guests we've had that have given me techniques as well as philosophy, as well as just expanded my love and appreciation for the vastness of Chinese medicine and the wisdoms behind it. 
And then there's another side of it, which is that as I went on my journey over the past, let's say, 18 months since I moved overseas, it, uh, as you say, so I'm going through the acupuncture licensing process and I haven't done it the fastest possible way. I've kind of intentionally slowed it down because I was also reformulating a lot of what I want to do with my Chinese medicine career on an internal level. And I've been working with Chinese herbal medicine, which I can do where I am, and some integrative nutritional work that I've also done on the side. And every time we have a guest that opens me up more to the parts of them that aren't just acupuncture. It, it's helped me find all the parts of me that aren't just acupuncture, you know, because acupuncture has kind of been off limits during this time. Um, so uh, we had a wonderful chat with, gosh, this is terrible. Now I've forgotten her name, but with a, an acupuncturist who's an artist. And Cecil Sturman. And, and I, for some reason, I just had Regine Golding's name popping through my head and I knew it wasn't her, but uh, we spoke to her too. Um, and she was super cosmic. You know, she really connected me with a lot of the magic, like the absolute, the original magic in acupuncture. Did I remember the most? It really was just, I don't know, it's simple but good. I'll come back to it. But it was Anne Cecil Sturman who has a, another life as well as an artist mm-hmm. and a musician who... Um, you know, I got a lot out of just talking to her and just knowing as well that uh, I was trying to find what does an acupuncture, what do I do as an acupuncturist when I'm not doing acupuncture? Oh, wow. What a great question. Yeah. <laughs> and having all those guests and people who had were so mature and wise in their development as therapists, as compassionate beings. And being able to talk to them and hear from their perspective whilst I was going through this thing and being quite hard on myself at times, that for me was almost a kind of a, it was medicinal because it kept me connected as well as being able to interact with all these really nurturing people who had a larger Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. View. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back to this phrase, original magic of acupuncture. You know, we have... <laughs> <laughs> we, we have all these terms, you know, Jing Qi, Zheng Qi, Zong Qi. But, you know, you say original magic of acupuncture and anyone who's had acupuncture knows what you're talking about. And anyone who practices, you know, I, I, I suspect our listeners that are listening along as we're having this conversation. You say original magic of acupuncture and people go, right, something comes up for them. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine there'd be a small percentage of people whose eyes are rolling right now at the idea of the original <laughs> magic of acupuncture. I know. <laughs> well, why not? So what, when you say original magic of acupuncture, I'm curious <laughs> what that means for you. So we, I don't know if you heard the episode with Rasheen Golding, but it's called Huang Di is a Time Lord. Is a what? A Time Lord. A Time Lord. <laughs> and she took us. I have, no, I've not heard this one. I... The, the Yellow Emperor is a Time Lord. What's a Time Lord? Oh, Doctor Who. Okay, so this is a, this is British this is British science fiction. 
Yeah. Um, So we had this awesome discussion with her where she really weaves through a lot of the origins of the Chinese medical philosophies and cosmology. And there was a part where she was talking about um, the, the fact that needles are made of metal and that 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 material was known to be the right material to use because it was the earthly version of the twinkle of the stars. This is from Doctor Who, or this is her? This is from Rasheen Golding. This is from Rasheen Golding. Okay, okay. And Doctor Golding. We all need a cosmology. Doctor Who, Doctor Golding. <laughs> but actually, speaking of gold and Golding, she was talking about you know occasions on which she would use gold needles and and mm. pick particular metals. So it was really this um, original alchemist understanding of some of the philosophies behind why needles why metal why you know how did this come to be yeah well the gold and silver is used quite a bit by um the people that do some of the very light touch uh toyohari type japanese acupuncture yeah with the gold tations for scar techniques in particular is talked about a lot Mm -hmm. yeah it's on my list to get a Taishin and to learn what to do with it. You might want to invite someone onto your show. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's a thought, isn't it? But I guess it's it's one of the problems with Chinese medicine is that the more you learn, the more you realize that you're only ever going to know like a drop in the ocean mm. of all of the things that there is to know. It's a very humbling profession in that regard. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking the other day, I've been at it for almost 20 years now. I thought I would know more by this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's quite a curious feeling for me to have been, I mean, I, I think I'm in my 15th year, but it's to have moments where I still feel like a complete newbie at times is really quite a curious observation to have. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite interesting. And I remember one of my um, supervisors at clinic when I was at uni, he, he said that his, he, he had observed within himself and his clinical practice that he'd spent you know, the first five years feeling like he knew nothing. Second five years out, he, you know, he knew heaps. He was doing really good things with his patients, getting good results. Then the next five years stuff, five years after that, he thought, wow, I'm not doing anything good for these people at all. What What's going on? And then, you know, it kind of came and went in these cycles of knowing and not knowing and feeling competent and feeling incompetent. And I just remembered like that, that conversation still sits with me now and that's what over 15 years ago I had that discussion and it does it's it's a nice conversation to remember because it it reminds me it reminds me that nothing is permanent everything changes and um yeah there's a lot of that type of experience that other practitioners have shared with me as well that they have that experience too. You know, it's reassuring to hear you say that. And, and it's lovely to hear it because it, I mean, it reminds me as a practitioner, you know, and, and it, in some ways I already know this, right? Every time someone new comes in, it's, it's brand new. You're, you're at square one starting from, from the beginning. But yeah, it seems we go through these phases of development it's like, yeah, I've got this dialed in. And then you realize, oh, actually, maybe I don't have it as dialed in as I thought I did. You know, and you start opening up to new influences and new learning. And, you know, all it takes is a patient coming in who doesn't react the way that you thought they would, or they come in with a condition and you go, I don't even know where to begin, you know, to kind of mm. trigger that and, and bring you back to it. Yeah, I think some of the most enjoyable um, specialties that I've delved into were patient instigated. Uh huh. For example, 
Well, I did the, all this training in um, nutritional, sorry, nutritional genomics and um, integrative genomics. So, working with, with understanding people's methylation and detoxification genes and where they, how they're expressing, and this is all epigenetics, which Chinese medicine is great for, because we have all this wonderful knowledge about lifestyle and cultivating Jing. So, Jing is your genetic potential. Um, as well as your uh, the potential that you can raise and cultivate through life through your shen and through cultivating your shen. So that really was triggered because I, for a while, I geographically I was in an area where um, there was a lot of IVF clinics, so there was a lot of fertility cases, and then um, you know there was a lot of them with real difficulties that were, you know, I'll try anything, trying the last resort, let's go for acupuncture. And <laughs> um, and so I really started to learn about the MTHFR gene initially and then I ended up doing all this training um, in methylation and genomics and it's really, uh, I, I don't think it's something I would have looked up had my patients not been presenting with it and avoiding all the great results that my treatments would normally <laughs> bring. <laughs> like I had every every possible reaction to B vitamins. They would all come to me. And even when I was working at Claire's clinic, there was a whole period of months there where everyone else's patients in the same clinic weren't having the reactions to the B vitamins that mine were. And I just had to go and do this training, you know, but I loved it. And, and the way that it's developed my business since then um, is really, uh, I think it, it really weaves right through it. Well, our, te our, teacher, our patients really are our teachers in so many ways. I, I'm a little curious, could you tell us a, a bit more about, I mean, I'm hearing you talk about the three treasures, Jing Qi and Shen, to affect things on an epigenetic level. Can you, can you tell us a bit more or give us a little more detail in, about that? So you've got about 24,000 genes as a human being and, uh, you know, maybe on average people have, and these numbers keep changing because a lot of this research is new, but on average, you know, people might have between about 60 and 100 um, polymorphisms which can indicate health risks for them in their life according to current knowledge and the whole genome has not been mapped in terms of all the risks known associated with particular genes or, or polymorphisms. And a polymorphism is what you might know as a mutation, mm. but it's not really a mutation. So nature's just trying to evolve and, and also some of them are responses to toxins and environmental influences as well as their, our genetic evolution is influenced by our consciousness and our lifestyle. So what we're believing in, what are our stress levels, what are our toxicity levels, this is the epigenetic realm. So once you, you're born, you've got your genetic package or you've got your gene from mum and dad, you know, that expresses a certain type of potential, but you don't know what direction that potential is going to go in. And that's determined by you, who you become, how you become, uh, how you manage stress, how you whether you sleep well, whether you drink enough water, do you eat properly? So uh, that's where I see Chinese medicine as being one of the most broad systems in its ability to teach people how to live a life that's epigenetically positive for their health. I want to add something to that. And the, there's a lot of really cool information that's looking into the epigenetics of the microbiome because we personally only have, you know, 24,000-odd genes, but there's like a billion, maybe it's a million. There's a lot. There's a lot of genes in our microbiome and it's not us. And it, <laughs> and it, but it responds to what we do and it interacts with us and it's so it's it's so interesting to look at the ways in which modern science is investigating the effects of diet and the effects of particular types of stress 
and the you know the effects of particular types of exercise on health outcomes and on our own microbiome and genetic expression and the it, you know it's and it all fits in with what chinese medicine has been saying for like thousands of years i love the way that you know because people say oh but you know the emotions how you know how can we say that joy affects the heart and and that you know worry affects the spleen and anger and frustration affect the liver or not not necessarily they affect it but they you know they're emotions that belong to that particular organ but i guess it, there's there is a lot of acceptance within the paradigm of conventional medicine where they say stress causes disease stress can cause cancer stress can cause heart disease stress can cause autoimmune disease stress can cause you know the the 10,000 things but what chinese medicine has done or has been doing for a long time and identified a, a long time ago is not just stress as like this blanket statement where Chinese medicine is interested in what is a person's experience of life like, you know, not, not just is someone upset, but what, what in particular is making them upset? You know, are they upset by fear? Are they upset by anger? Are they upset by frustration? Is there hostility? Is there resentment? And in which way do their illnesses manifest as a result of that particular type of stress? And so there's so much richness that Chinese medicine can add to the equation of epigenetics and what does Jing, you know, our Jing is basically our genetic expression. You know, we've got, we've got the genes there, but the genes, it's a, it's a loaded gun. We have to, it's the environment and our diet and lifestyle and who, you know, what it's like to be us is the environment within us that either pulls the trigger or doesn't pull the trigger mm. on that particular gene. And and I guess I, I find it quite frustrating when, when I hear people make comments on things like geographic tongue and the comment will be, oh, well, it's genetic. And so the implication is that there's nothing necessarily to be done about it. But in fact, you know, there's a lot of things that are genetic, but you don't necessarily have it as an inevitability. It's just part of our genetic potential, like that gene expression, but it doesn't necessarily manifest. It, just because you've got a constitutional tendency to a particular problem, it doesn't mean that that problem is always going to be there and that nothing is to be done about it. Mm. And so I think that if we can, as Chinese medicine practitioners, take on the information about what I refer to as the mother-father gene <laughs> and all the associated um, all the associated SNPs that people, you know, the genetic mutations that people can have. But if we also remember that within our own system of medicine that we don't accept things as being inevitable and there are ways of harmonising people and from a genetic point of view that means switching off the, you know, the, and I'm using air quotes here, the naughty genes or the genes that you don't want to have mm. being in effect. And that, and that's something that a lot of the, um, the people like Ben Lynch and Amy Yasko and, and those types of people who are quite prominent in the, in the genetic space, they're trying to stress to people that it's not just about you've got the MTHFR gene, you need to take methylfolate. It's about working out, is the gene expressing? And if it is causing a problem, then this is how you fix it, rather than just this mutation equals this supplement or this mutation equals, you know, this lifestyle intervention. And we're doing that anyway in Chinese medicine. Yeah. You know, it, it's such a beautiful, flexible model. And it, you know, we get to work with stuff from the outside and we get to work with stuff from the inside. And there's even room for consciousness. Absolutely. Inside of all of it. Such a huge cause of stress for some people where they feel like they, they just have this sense that they're not in alignment with their life purpose. 
They feel like they're here on this planet to be doing something else and helping someone to work that out can help to get rid of a lot of that internal stress that can be making someone just as sick as, you know, living next to a chemical factory. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. You know, I don't know if you see this in your clinic. I I've been noticing this in mind for a while that sometimes people come in and they've got something going on and they think this is what's wrong with them. It might be an emotional habit. It might be a physical thing, but they come in and they go, this is the thing that's wrong with me. And I, and I sit down and I listen to them and I listen to what their life is like. And, and like you were just saying, there might be something that they want to do and they are completely going in the opposite direction of where their heart really wants to take them. Sometimes people come in with problems and I'm thinking to myself, this problem you got is not what's wrong with you. This problem you got is what's right with you. This problem that you got is waking you up in a certain way. It is catching your attention in an extremely annoying fashion. Right, you know, and our genes are actually switching on and off hundreds of times in a minute. Yeah. So this this feed, biofeedback in system in in the body is is incredible. You know, it's constantly giving feedback to the genes. You know, make more of this, stop. Make more of that, stop. Make more, stop. You know, <laughs> something like that. And um, you know, trying to adjust those levels in our body. And it has been shown that that expression is modulated by your mood and your focus. So you start meditating more often and becoming more awake to your inner dialogue and observing it, witnessing it, rather than fully identifying with it. You know, and you might only get two minutes of witnessing a day in at first and then that will grow without pressure, so don't try. <laughs> but, um, but you know, this, this can really immediately modulate the efficiency of your immune system. And then your immune system can go around your body and affect repairs and do cleanups. And it's much better when it's doing them on a small level where we can barely notice than, um, you know, we okay, now we have a tumour <laughs> to clean up. Mm-hmm. Right, somebody didn't sweep that corner. It was, it was obligated, you know, the cells that were meant to sweep that corner were obligated elsewhere because of something in our diet mind, lifestyle, emotions. You know, I want to just get back to what Michael was just saying about the way in which people have, you know, the, the, the body is very specific, you know, when, when it creates or manifests an illness or a pain or some kind of symptom it's always very specific. It's always specific with timing and location and the nature of, of what's created. And I think that, um, you know, one of, the, one of the cool things about having Fee working in my clinic was being exposed to her approach and her, I guess, unique way of thinking around. I, th- I think it came mostly from her 
background in the shamanic kung fu training that she's done and the different ways in which you can interact with patients who have that as their, you know, it's like they walk in with a neon sign in their forehead, like you need to address this. <laughs> I'm not just here for my sore back. Um, and I think that there's some really, I'm still learning. I'm not, I've, I've got a long way to go in this, but the way in which we interact with that particular type of patient, and we all have them coming into the clinic, the, the ways in which we interact them is is really important for their therapeutic process, the therapeutic journey. I learned a lot about that from Fee when she was working in my clinic. Well, that's nice, Claire. <laughs> I think I learned a lot about it as well, also being able to communicate with you about how I was navigating it. And, and um, when you describe that, I'm thinking of another guest we had that really also inspired me on that level, and that was talking with Guy Bennett's about five-element acupuncture and the voice and the skin diagnostics. And I'm particularly interested in people's voices and the way they articulate their story because I know I'm hearing they're in a dialogue, you know, and they're leaking all the stuff I need to know to help them, whether they know it or not. And um, Guy really reminded me about those tools in five element of listening to the voice and understanding the story that their constitutional factors telling versus the words they're telling you do you find fiona that the listening that you do with the voice matches up with the listening that we learn about through the through the five elements i mean that's one screen that's one filter the five elements I've got a hunch, I could be wrong, that there's something else that you're listening to. Like some years ago, I probably would have tried to give you an intellectual answer to that. But I think I hear and see a lot of stuff. My sensory system picks up on a lot of stuff and my body converts it into information with whatever systems I've studied or even with whatever systems I'm focusing on at the time. So I can be sitting with someone and it might just be a tone in their voice that makes me aware of their birth element or something like that. Or I might, sometimes it's technique and I could break it down. You know, it's like if you could do maths and you can show the sum and sometimes you can't show the sum, but the answer's there. I didn't go far <laughs> enough in math to be able to understand that. <laughs> But 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 I get, <laughs> but I get what you're saying that there that there's something that sometimes comes through and it comes through a kind of a, a knowing sensing. You're sitting with someone and something comes through and and it just it just rings in a certain way. Yeah, you you go earth, you go wood. I sometimes try to go fit it back into that five element model, and I go, yeah, that's a nice model, but not applicable here. I think in terms of hearing the tone of the voice and the way someone speaks, Guy really helped me because he did these Oscar-level impersonations of the um, the constitutional voices and the way that that kind of patient would speak. And I think what else I'm bringing to it that comes from other things that I've studied is more so listening to the um, listening to the words that people are actually using. So I've studied things like conversational hypnosis and a bit of NLP. And so I do go into a bit of nitty gritty with the inner dialogue and also a lot of um, like dream, lucid dream therapy or dream interpretation. So I just kind of let it all, I find I don't, I don't think too much intellectually about where each technique fits in. I just let it all coalesce in front of me as someone presents themselves and tells themselves with their voice and I pick up whatever I pick up and I think if I was to try to pick up everything from all the systems that I've studied each session would take three hours well and they may or may not be applicable you know the right I know I just I just got to a point where um I knew that you don't need to fuss about that. Your body is intelligent and it will organize all of that information for you and it will present it to you if you're, if you're present. Well, that just begs a whole lot of other questions. 
and, and I'm recognizing the time here. How long are your episodes normally? Or what's the longest episode you've ever done? Oh, the longest episode I think is an hour and 10 minutes or so. But I usually, I, I like to let the conversations kind of run as they want to. And they usually run an hour-ish. Yeah, we, we initially had an intention of around about the kind of 35-minute mark. Yeah, I tried that. It absolutely yeah. failed. Does not work at mm -mm. all. No. Nope. At all. I think the shortest we ever did was maybe 50 minutes, 45 minutes. Like there was, a, there was a couple that we ran that were quite short, but we really, like they were – they were too short. We didn't get to cover the content we wanted to. Yeah. The conversations have their own life. Yeah. Is, is what I found with it too. Particularly, I think, because we take that conversational approach rather than instructional. You know, you can easily give a 20-minute or a 30-minute lecture, so to speak, or like a QA. and a um, But I think if you're having a conversation where you – have, you know, there's an introduction, then you kind of go down the rabbit hole and you see what's down there and you explore it and then you kind of tie it all together and come out the other side. That, that process takes time and you can't do that in half an hour. No. And I think it's one of the fun things about the podcast format because we can just hang out here and have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. It feels very, um, it feels very, it's it's very strange doing a podcast with on another like on another podcast and talking about podcasting. <laughs> I know like... it's like a meta podcast. <laughs> you guys have been at this for a while. If do you see podcast? Do you see how do I phrase this? I mean, my suspicion is, I mean, because podcasts are growing by leaps and bounds. How do you see podcasts fitting in with with our particular? profession here how, how else do you see podcasts maybe being used well yeah I think when that? we started uh, I wasn't particularly aware of any other Chinese medicine podcasts and we we looked up you know um, and I think we found the everyday acupuncture and uh, that you were doing you know that was pitched to the patients and we thought well that's cool we'll pitch ours to practitioners and you know I think that at first they become resources for our community that are cool to listen to and give people a sense of connection beyond the isolation that we've described. But then there's another level that creeps in, which is now a lot of people are starting to use the podcasts. And I think there's about five or so in the Chinese medicine community that I know of anyway. Uh, now we're, you know, able to provide people with some educational credits for listening um, and so that's really important, I think, becoming part of the ongoing educational choices that people have and to have a certain percentage of business coaching and a certain percentage of seminar type ongoing education and a certain percentage of collegial discussion type education is, I think it's filling a niche that broadens what's available to the community on that educational level where you can't help but learn because you can't unring a bell, you know. <laughs> so if you hear something and ding, that's it, it's happened to you. Um, and then there's another level where I've thought on a few occasions, uh, we've also talked about, well, we should do episodes on this and this and this for the public. And then, um, you know, I've thought as well about reaching out and connecting and doing, what do you call this, a conference calling podcast with other podcasters. <laughs> In Chinese medicine. So it was really cool that you reached out to us. So thank you for that because I think perhaps there's another new level that we can all go to by interacting more and um, show sharing. I don't know what we call it. Yeah, no, it's been great. I've, I, I was not sure the way this conversation would unfold today. I just thought it would be fun to get you guys on the line and see where it went it's it it just went in a whole different direction which do your podcasts ever go the way you think they will my life doesn't go the way i think it will <laughs> isn't that the beauty of it all 
I am constantly surprised. Yeah, the, the, the idea that I have in my mind and, and how reality actually unfolds sometimes bear a resemblance, but often not. You know, I think in terms of answering your question around, you know, what does the future hold with podcasting and what, you know, what's going to happen with our profession and podcasting and what does that look like? I think, you know, podcasting is a very important medium for connecting particularly in today's day and age you know you can you can use it as like a meditative kind of practice and you can just sit down on your couch or lie down in bed and listen to it or as a lot of other people are doing they're listening you know on their drive to and from work or whilst they're doing some housework or you know they're out for a, a run or a walk people are busy and the ability for people to be able to do their CPD points at the same time as they're doing some gardening, you know, that's a really valuable thing because we are too busy and we're constantly telling our patients and, you know, we have to remind ourselves that it's important to have yin time in our lives and if we can, if we can be more effective in our active time, during the day, then it allows our relaxation to be more restorative. And I think that, you know, if people can get back, even if it's just one weekend a year where they don't have to be off at a conference and instead they can get those eight hours of continuing education from listening to a podcast, then, you know, I think it's a really valuable thing. And I really hope that the ways in which the professional associations um, and registration bodies are going to be, you know, policing continuing education. I hope that in the future it allows for more flexibility for people to be able to get their hours from doing, uh, you know, from listening to to instructional podcasts or you know even just podcasts that encourage reflection and and personal development, which are equally as important as knowing you know which herb and which point. I think also. Sorry, jump in there. It's really important for a lot of practitioners to know just how much of the stresses and thoughts and worries and fears that they go through are really quite universal for all of us. Um, you know, there's been a lot of times for me where I've heard another practitioner articulate something that's just okay to be experiencing and it makes it feel a lot more okay um, when you're hearing that, oh, yeah, that's part of it. Yes, the boat we're in. And to be able to hear each other's voices. You know, it's so easy to look outside of ourselves and go, those guys have it so together. I'm struggling. And and I mean, this, is, this is one of the things I actually like about conferences because I get a chance to meet with colleagues and we get to be really human yeah. with each other. We're, we're, we're all real people. And I have a real 10-week-old baby sitting on my lap that you might be able to hear the grunting in the background. But, yeah, I mean, we are real people and we have real lives and we have our own problems. You know, none of us are the perfect, you know, the perfect acupuncturist like this this kind of avatar that we all aspire to be like. It's um, mm. We have to find our own. I way. want to say also that with the real growth of social media, even just in the last say five, seven years, it's, it's a different world for practitioners to communicate what they do with the world and the way that the internet works and social media works even just for marketing a clinic or becoming known. Um, you know, it's almost like you used to be able to just be a good practitioner and be known in your area and now if you're not this super famous health guru online, um, People may not know about you, but they do know about the other ones who are more super fame than you. So uh, I think also that podcasting is a, a really nice match for Chinese medicine because it does attract a lot more quiet, humble, introverted um, personalities. And I don't, you know, I myself am not really comfortable with becoming some kind of big um, internet Guru. You're not going to become a uh, Instagram uh, acupuncture celebrity. Right. I mean, you know, all the photo shoots on the beach in my yoga pants. 
(laughs) (laughs) Not saying I wouldn't look awesome, no, but like it's, it's sort of, I think podcasting allows for a much more humble presentation of yourself and your information. And a lot of our world is really visually based, you know, and people are dominated by things like television and visual information. So I think it's also a softer form of information distribution and it allows for a lot of spiritual transmission. You know, the the kind of transmission that we've had come through our podcast from some of the guests as well, you know, this energy really transmits and I think it's more available to the body when you're not taking up as many of the five senses and the body can be more extrasensory. So I like audio for that very much. I mean, you can lie down and close your eyes and go on a journey. Yeah. Well, I think it was Claire who said somewhere in the beginning of this that storytelling is a way that humans have connected for as long as we've been humans. And and we all love hearing a story. We love to be read stories. We love to be told stories. And Chinese medicine has some great stories. Yeah. Dragons. We do. <laughs> well, I want to thank both of you for taking some time today and sitting down with me here. This has been an absolutely delightful time. I want to remind the listeners to go check out Heavenly Chi. There's amazing stuff there. You got to hear a little bit of uh, some of the guests that they've had and they've got a tremendous library. So make use of it. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. (laughs) 